you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at uh, verse 12 this morning, which is a passage that is all about clothing ourselves with the character of the Christ we just were worshiping. See, Paul's been teaching us in this chapter, over, or actually over the last two chapters, that Jesus Christ is above all. He's taught us that He is the invisible God made visible. He's revealed in human flesh. He's the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Possessor of all things. He's the only Redeemer, the only Reconciler, the only Mediator between God and man. He's the Head of the Body that is the Church. And He's the One who came to pay the price for all her sins and to bring to eternal and spiritual life all who call on Him in faith. This is Jesus. He's infinite in glory, in wonder, in worth. And He is all in all. He is our life as believers, as Paul has been teaching us. We are full and complete in Him. And so the message of Colossians chapter 3, which we're in the midst of, and Colossians chapter 4, is that we ought to live like it. As Paul introduced back in chapter 1, verse 10 and verse 18, we ought to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, that in all things He might be preeminent. That's our purpose. That's our goal. That is our task as the redeemed. To glorify the King of glory. To magnify Him who is above all. Therefore, Paul tells us in verses 12 through 14 that there are some things that we ought to put on in order to accomplish this task of glorifying Jesus. In light of what we must do, there is a certain thing, there are certain virtues we must put on. And this is a familiar concept for all of us. If you're a nurse, you dress yourselves in scrubs in order to do your job of caring for the sick. If you're a police officer, you dress yourself in your uniform with all of your equipment in order to carry out your task of enforcing the law. Well, in the same way, we as believers, we are to dress ourselves with the character of Christ in order to carry out the task of glorifying Him. First, we must put on and apply to our lives, just as we saw last time in Colossians, the core of our new identity in Jesus, that we are, as we saw, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is who you and I are in Christ. God chose us to set us apart as objects of His affection. Therefore, we ought to live like it. We ought to live a life that reflects the new life we have in Jesus. We ought to reflect the life that we have received. And that's what Paul's going to show us today. After Paul reminds us of the core of our new identity in Jesus, there at the beginning of verse 12, he begins to show us the clothing of our new identity in Christ there at the end of verse 12 into verse 14. In other words, now that we belong to Jesus and we exist, our whole life exists to exalt Him above all, what must we do? What must we put on? What type of people ought we to become? What type of lives ought we to live in order to accomplish that task? How do we reflect the life that we have received? That's what we're going to see today. Having considered the core of our new identity in Jesus, let's now look at the clothing of our new identity. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. 
Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words for us. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the Word of God whose rules we do not turn aside from since He Himself has taught us. Let's pray. Father, we come before You today as a needy people. Father, we thank You for the work of grace that You have done in many of the lives who have gathered here today. We thank You that when we were dead, when we could not see Your glory, when we loved sin, when we hated You and hated one another, In that moment, by Your grace, You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You that He lived the perfect life under Your righteous requirements that we could never, ever live. We thank You that He went to the cross to suffer beneath Your wrath in a death we could never endure. And we thank You that three days later, He rose again by the power of His indestructible life, winning a victory on our behalf that we could never win. We thank You that through faith in Him, we have been joined to Christ. His life is ours. His death is ours is ours. His resurrection power is ours. We thank You that because of that, we have a brand new life we can live today for Your honor and for Your glory. But we still need Your grace. We need You. Every hour, we need You. And this hour is no exception. Show us today, Father, what we need to put off. Show us what we need to put on. In the midst of a hard, hard world, may we shine. Shine as children of God by taking on these virtues. We pray for Your honor and for Your glory. Do a work in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, after Paul reminds you and I about the core of our new identity in Jesus, he then tells us about the clothing of your new identity. There at the end part of verse 12 and verse 14. Again, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you so also you must forgive. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul tells us here to put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, some important spiritual virtues. And before we even look at them, I want to emphasize this right at the very beginning. The motivation to put on all of these virtues, to put on each one of these spiritual pieces of clothing is found in our blood-bought identity in Jesus. I want you to realize, once again, this is not moralism. This is transformation. This is not trying to apply a certain standard to an to the externals of our life. This is realizing, coming to realize as Christians, what we have in Jesus and working out that wondrous grace in our lives. We who were once children of wrath, dead in our trespasses and sins, under the just condemnation of a holy God, we now find ourselves this morning, all of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ by His grace, we find ourselves this morning in Jesus Chosen by God to be set apart as objects of His divine and undying affection. And Paul's argument here is obvious. Such a brand new life demands a brand new lifestyle. You are a chosen object of God's undying love. That ought to change the way you think. That ought to change the way you live, the way you love, the way you look at things around you and the circumstances of your life. You have been chosen to be set apart as an object of God's love. And in order to thank Him for that, in order to respond to that, in order to glorify Him and exalt Him for the wondrous mystery of this thing called grace in your life, Paul tells us here we must, respect, we must reflect the new life that we have received. How? Well, primarily as he's going to show us in these verses by reflecting the new love that we've received. By putting on all these affectionate virtues that we're about to look at. We must put them on. We must treat others in these following ways. And listen to me. Don't miss this. Not because the people around us are going to deserve the love that they receive from us. They won't. And in fact, if they did, we wouldn't be reflecting the love of God. Because the love of God is given to those who, what? Don't deserve it. See, we must put these virtues on and we must treat others in these ways because God deserves His love to be reflected through us. Not because they deserve to be receivers of it. He deserves to be magnified for His magnificent grace and so to exalt Jesus Christ above all, we as believers, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we must reflect the love that we've received. Just as 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to what? Love one another. We must reflect the love that we've received. That's our motivation. So how do we do that? By putting on first, as Paul says here, compassionate hearts. Now compassionate hearts are the opposite of of callous hearts. right? A compassionate heart is a heart that is characterized by deep-seated, gut-level, emotional responses of sympathy towards suffering. It is a heart that sees true suffering and need feels deep love and concern within, and is moved to act outwardly on behalf of that suffering or need. Christians ought to be characterized by this for three reasons. First, because this heart of compassion is seen in Christ, the one we claim to follow. 
We actually saw an excellent example of this last week at the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. If you remember, in the middle of an exhausting moment of Jesus' ministry, with the crowds pressing in all around him, Jesus all of a sudden finds out in that moment that his cousin John the Baptist had just been beheaded by Herod. That would have been pretty traumatic. And so Jesus, weary, sorrowful, and troubled, he gets into a boat, and we learn from Scripture, he travels across the lake to get away to a desolate place to pray, to recover, and just process everything. But the crowd, seeking him, as we'll find out, for all the wrong reasons, they rush around the lake, and they're waiting on the other side, even as he's coming up to the shore, waiting to demand more from him as he gets to the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but the heart response of, I'm guessing many of us here in that moment, would have been harsh and callous. But Mark 6.34 tells us that when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and here's the miracle, before he even gives them bread. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus saw their selfishness and their sinfulness, and his heart was gripped, not with anger or callousness or revulsion. His heart was gripped with compassion, with great sympathy towards them. He even saw their selfishness with sympathy. And so he teaches the lost, and he heals the sick, and he feeds the hungry. Jesus had a compassionate heart, characterized by supernatural, deep-seated responses of sympathy towards those who are in need. So a heart of compassion is seen in Christ. Second, we ought to put on compassionate hearts because second, a heart of compassion is experienced in Christ. It's not just that we find out about a heart of compassion by looking at it in the Gospels. For those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ, you have experienced God's heart of compassion towards you. We as believers all know what a heart of compassion looks like because compassion is exactly what God poured out upon us in our salvation. Micah 7 verse 19 says that it was, that it was the Lord having compassion on us when he tread our iniquities underfoot and cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea that was his compassion luke 11 uh, 1 uh, 77 through 78 says that god sent forth his son to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins why because of the tender mercy of our god our god is a god of tender mercy and compassion whose heart breaks to those who are suffering and in sin. That is why the sunrise of salvation has visited us on high, because our God is a God of compassion. Just like the father of the prodigal son in Luke 15, verse 20, when we were still a far ways off, God saw us in our desperate state of sin and shame, and what did he do? He had compassion and ran to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He had compassion. Compassion for us in our lost state. In our sinful state. In our shameful state. Rather than a heart of callousness, we've experienced a heart of compassion in Christ. And then finally, we ought to put on compassion a heart as, as believers because we've not only seen and experienced, but we've received a heart of compassion in Christ. Philippians 2.1 tells us that sympathy, that is compassion accompanies the affection or the love that the Spirit gives us in Jesus. 
In other words, because we're in Christ, we've already received a heart of compassion on Him. I'm not telling you, exercise something that is foreign to you. You received a gift at the moment of your salvation. It was the ability to reflect the very compassion that you've experienced from the Lord. We've all seen, we've all experienced, and we have all received a heart of compassion in Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul tells us here, we are to put it on. We are to reflect what we have seen, experienced, and received by how we live our lives. We ought to show compassion and sympathy to those who are suffering or who are in need. Now that is easier said than done. Because often compassion is something that needs to be shown to people who don't deserve it. Right? It's easy to feel tender-hearted towards people that are always tender towards you. How about being tender-hearted towards people that are hard-hearted towards you? Towards people who sin against you. Believer, are you showing a heart of compassion towards people like that? Listen to the circumstances in which divine compassion was shown here in Nehemiah 9, 16-19. I want you to listen to this. Nehemiah is praying to the Lord and he said this, But they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But listen to this. You are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And you did not abandon them. Oh, how often when we deal with someone who is hard-hearted towards us, what's the first thing that we do? Push them away. I don't need that negativity in my life. Praise God, God never had that attitude towards us. You did not abandon them. Even when they made for themselves, verse 18, a cast a calf of cast metal, and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You, in your great compassion, did not abandon them. See, true compassion is not shown towards those who are likable, to those who are always tender-hearted towards you, and to those that are just your really good friends. It is shown to those who do not deserve an ounce of it. And as one who has been chosen by God to be set apart as an object of his affection, you are to have a heart of compassion towards those who are arrogant, a heart of compassion towards those who are stubborn, hard-hearted, forgetful, rebellious, and sinful. Not because their character deserves to receive compassion from you, but because God's character of compassion deserves to be reflected by you. And you have an opportunity to reflect His divine compassion every time you deal with someone who is hard-hearted. Every time. You have an opportunity to show the Gospel. And that's why Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So, parents, do you still have a compassionate heart towards your stubborn arrogant, hard-hearted, and rebellious child? 
Or are you developing a callous one? Are you irritated over their sinful actions? Embarrassed over their sinful actions? Or broken over their sinful actions? Husbands, do you have a heart of compassion towards your wife? Wives, do you have a heart of tender mercy towards your husband? Or do you speak with harsh words towards your spouse because you've developed a hard heart towards them? Young man or woman, do you have a tender and compassionate heart towards your siblings? Even the one that is very skilled at pushing your buttons? Do you see them with the same compassion with which God sees you? Listen, beloved, we who have seen and have experienced and have received the compassionate heart of Christ, we must reflect that. We live in a hard world of people with hard hearts getting harder every day. This world has great need for soft hearts. And our church, out of all places on planet Earth, ought to be the one place where people feel like they can come in here and unload their burdens and unload their sins and know that here, of all places, they will be met by people who who have hearts of tender mercy, who have hearts of compassion, who deal with them with the same heart that Christ Himself possesses. This is how we're to live out our new identity in Jesus. You want to glorify Him and exalt Him and glorify Him in this world? Show Him that He is preeminent. Worship Him with your life. Put on compassionate hearts. I don't care how many Sunday mornings you come to service. You never put on compassionate hearts towards those who are hard-hearted towards you. And if you maintain a spirit of bitterness and of unforgiveness and of revenge towards those who have wronged you, you are not worshiping Christ. Put on, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. And how do you know if you put on a compassionate heart? Well, you'll know it because your words and your actions will increasingly be marked by, what's the word? Kindness. Kindness is really just the goodness and compassion and mercy of one's heart put into action. It's goodness realized. It's compassion actualized. To put it another way, kindness is a tender heart showing itself through tender help. And Paul's telling us here that we as believers ought to be characterized by this virtue of kindness. We ought to reflect God's supernatural compassion through kindness towards those who are mean and wrongful and sinful around us. We of all people ought to do this. Why? Because, just like with compassion, we've seen kindness in Christ. When we open up the Word and we look at this man named Jesus, kindness is all over him. Titus 3.4 says, but when the goodness, and here it is, loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of words, works done by us in righteousness, but because of His own mercy. 
See, out of His own mercy and compassion, our Savior chose to show us kindness and save us. And how did He do that? This verse, Titus 3, 4 says it's by His appearing. In other words, Jesus Christ, just by appearing, demonstrated to us kindness. When you want to know what kindness looks like, look at Jesus. Now that'll be a very helpful definition when you want to understand this word, by the way. It's not retreating from the truth, but it's always standing on the truth from a position of love and brokenheartedness towards those who are lost. Jesus Christ is appearing, His teaching, His living, His dying, His rising, His returning. Everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus has done is an expression of God's divine kindness towards us who are in Him. So you and I as believers, we have seen kindness in Christ. Kindness is Christ. Second, we've experienced kindness in Christ. Just like Genesis 19.19 expresses that God showed us great kindness in saving our lives. And we have not stopped experiencing it. It's not like God was kind to you once and now He's left you alone to live the rest of your life in misery. No. God says in Hosea 11 verse 4, I have led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. And our experience of God's kindness towards us, by the way, in Christ will never stop. Ephesians 2, 6-7, through 7, I don't know if you've ever caught this before, says this, God made us alive together with Christ. Why? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in what? Kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In other words, God saved us so that He could shower upon us for all eternity the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness so that we could see how kind of a God He is. So as those in Christ, we have seen and experienced God's kindness. And, and here comes the application, because not only have we seen and experienced God's kindness, we've finally received God's kindness in Christ. And that virtue has been given to us. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the supernatural kindness of God, your Father, already given to you. Galatians 5.22 says this, the fruit of the Spirit, right, the Holy Spirit that comes to indwell everyone who's trusted in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is, now I know Drew can recite this because he did it in Sunday school, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. See, because you're in Christ, you've received from the Lord His very own supernatural loving kindness, tenderness of affection and action. See, therefore, Paul tells us here that we ought to put that on. We are to reflect what we've seen, experienced, and received by how we live our lives. We as believers ought to not only have compassion in our hearts towards those who are suffering and in sin, we've got to go beyond that. We've got to do more than just be like, well, go in peace, be warmed and filled. We've got to, have, we've got to be moved to action. We ought to show them our compassion through words and actions of kindness. And again, this is much easier said than done because we're being called here to demonstrate words and actions of kindness to people who do not deserve it. It is easy to be kind to people who are kind to you, is it not? But what about showing acts of kindness to people who are mean to you, that disrespect you, that mistreat you, that make fun of you? This is where this passage takes on some serious weight. This is why I'm taking my time with this, because this is going to solve half of my marriage counseling sessions in the future. (laughs) 
we are to put on kindness. Jesus says in Luke 6.32, if you, that is believer, love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? In other words, what does that show if you only love those who love you? That shows absolutely nothing. For even sinners love those who love them, Jesus says in Luke 6.32. But verse 35, he says, but love your enemies and do good to them and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. In other words, then you'll show in those moments that you're a child of God. Not by loving those who love you, but by loving those who hate you. It is in that moment that, you're sh- that you'll show that you're a child of God. Why? Because listen to this, for He is kind. Well, to who? To the ungrateful and the evil. So how do we show that we belong to Jesus Christ in this world? It is by being kind to those who are not kind to us. It is by showing them words and actions of compassion when they have nothing but words and actions of hatred towards us. The correct response to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins Loving sin and hating God is not push them out of my life. I'll have nothing to do with them. But I've got to bring them into my life and show them the compassion and kindness of Christ. See, just like compassion, true kindness and acts of kindness are not shown to those who deserve it. It is shown to those who do not. And as someone who has been set apart as an object of God's kindness when you did not deserve it, You must show that same loving kindness to others who hate you, mistreat you, and are evil to you as well. As Ephesians 5.32 says, without exception, be kind to one another out of a tender heart. Or again, 2 Peter 2.24, the Lord's servant must must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. The moment you stop being kind to everyone, you've just stepped out of the position of being a servant of God. You must be kind. So parents... Going back to application, that child that won't listen to a word you say and would jump out of a train if you told him not to. What words or actions of kindness can you show him or her today to show the loving kindness of Christ? Husbands and wives, that spouse that has been running you through with sharp and cutting words all week, what is one message or action of kindness that you can do for them today? Undeserved. How can you show them the love of your Savior? Children, that brother or sister that spends every waking moment trying to be mean to you. I was the youngest. You can tell I have a chip on my shoulder. (laughs) What is one act of kindness that you can do for that brother or sister to show them the kindness that Jesus has shown you? This is it. This is how you exalt Jesus and you show that you love Him and want to worship Him with your life. This is how you become a living sacrifice. It's by putting on compassionate hearts and kindness towards those who do not deserve it. It's not easy. That's why with each one of these virtues, Paul calls for a response of our will. That's why he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness. In other words, it won't be easy, so put it on. Don't wait for the feeling to strike you out of heaven. Look at God's Word, understand what it says, trust Him and obey. That's what you're called to do. 
work out our own salvation and reflect Christ's glory to those whom God has put around us. This requires an act, not of our emotions, but of our will. God has shown and continues to show me so much compassion and kindness when I do not deserve it. Think of my track record this past week. I'm still here. God's chosen one. Holy and beloved. I'd call that a compassionate heart of kindness. How can I hold back anything less than that towards those who are even my enemies? God has been so kind to me. He's so full of compassion and steadfast loving kindness. And His glory has to be shown. His glory has to be shown to my spouse who might not always treat me right. His glory must be shown to my kids who might be so disobedient and so rebellious and so hard-hearted. So was I. His glory must be reflected to my church members, sometimes who are called to love me, but instead actually hate me in their guts, right? Sometimes these things happen in a church. We're sinners, right? We are not glorified. And yet, how do I show that Jesus Christ is above all and worthy of my worship and praise? It is by loving, showing compassion and kindness towards those who hate me. Because I once was a hater of God. And He loved me in spite of myself. They must come to know the tender compassion and kindness that I have come to know. So beloved, I call on each one of you today to take these words and apply them to each one of your relationships with prayerful determination. I want you to write down, right now, the top five relationships you have in your life. Because I'm sure you all have a pen and paper. And now, I want you to commit this week to applying these truths to each and every one of these relationships with this prayerful determination. God, help me to have compassion and help me to show kindness to this person today who doesn't deserve it. Help me to see myself in them And help me to show them the same love with which you have loved me. You know what? All of us did that. Man, we hardly have any trouble at all in life in this church. If we all took this to heart. God, help me to have compassion and kindness. And you know what? The same Spirit who imparted these very virtues to you will empower you to show them to a world that does not deserve it for the honor and glory of Christ. So he's going to do a work in your life if you commit to doing this in your relationships. This is how we exalt Christ above all. It begins here. In clothing ourselves and our relationships through prayerful determination and the compassion and loving kindness of God our Savior. So may God give us grace by his Spirit to do just that this week. We'll have to look at the rest of the verses next week. But for now, this is the Word of God from Colossians 3, verse 12, which I commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He comes. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for the glory that belongs only to You. For what we have been called to to perform 
in imperfection, you possess in utter purity. We thank you for your heart of compassion towards us. And when you saw us wallowing in our sin and shame, you did not push us away, but you ran to us in sympathy, compassion, and mercy. How many people have we pushed out of our lives because they have treated us exactly as how we should expect someone who does not know Christ would treat us? How many times have we been ashamed of showing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our own relationships? Help us, Father, to put on hearts of compassion this week. And where our hearts have been hardened, Father, show us once more your love for us so that we might show love and compassion towards those who hurt us. And Father, may we act on that compassion by demonstrating kindness. Acts of gentleness and goodness towards those who have mistreated us. Help us, Father, this week to show ourselves as sons and daughters of the Most High. As those who have been touched by Your love, may we reflect it to those around us. Father, because this is the only way the world will know that we are Christ's disciples. If we have love, love for one another. Give us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.